All right, whenever you're ready. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the Association of Common Sense Masculinity is proud to present the exciting, the thought-provoking Can-Am Soup, an entertaining, genuine, and often meandering conversation between two friends. And now, the stars of our show, Jeremy Gertz and Todd Fuss. Hey, Todd, how's it going, buddy? Good, Jeremy. How about you? Oh, doing good. Busy, but good. What you been up to lately? Oh, you know, nothing. Nothing? How's the old... uh, old... uh, Odd. Mm, How are the rest of the pieces here and there? Yeah. Gonna have some uh, pretty violent storms today. Oh, really? Uh, Possibly uh, tornadoes in the area. Oh, really? Wow. Is this like tornado season for you guys? Yeah, sort of, yeah. Hmm. That's crazy. Um, dude, so yesterday we had this big, huge windstorm I put on Instagram on the story. Man, it was crazy. Like, I walked down to the shop, and I think it was like 7 o'clock, 7.10 or something. I always carry like a little, you know, bag with like my notebook and camera and I open the shop, go into my office, set it down. And all of a sudden it sounded like wind hit the side of the building. Like just went, like the whole, like, like almost like a thunderclap on the side of the building. And man, I don't know how windy it was, but it was like, you could hardly see the house from the shop is just blowing the wind. And it just blew for about an hour and a half. And then all of a sudden it just went dead calm and it got beautiful for the rest of the day. It was weird. But uh, how are your wrists doing? How's the healing coming on those? Not not so hot. No? No. It, it, that's, they've been really bothering me this week. Uh, Got to try to make it about two more, two, three more weeks. Hmm. See if it gets better or not. Yeah, yeah. But anyway. Yeah, right it's, it sucks. But. Oh, yeah, that's a bummer. Hmm. Yeah, two days ago, they were, my right hand was bothering me as much as it was, you know, two or three days after surgery. Oh, wow. That stinks, eh? Do you think, like, think you've been just, like, have you been using them too much, do you think? Or are you... Well, I said, do what you normally do. Just go about your life. Oh, really? You know, do what your hands will let you do. Um, But if they don't get better, you keep having, um, like, stinger, nerve pain after six weeks, you know. Additional six weeks. That would make it 11 weeks post-surgery. Oh, wow. Um have you know come back hmm do you think it may it might help if you just kind of take a little easy do you think or well i'm just, i wonder you know if the way i sleep is really um mm. making this stuff worse because um i can just mad clench my hands at night fold them up in weird places and so now i put my uh 
pre-surgery braces back on when I sleep, which hold your uh, hand okay. in a, you know. Yeah, yeah. Keep you from messing up your wrists. But huh. We'll see. Yeah, that's that could make sense, hey? Like, it's amazing what, what you do in your sleep. And, like, sometimes I'll wake up and it's like, it, I, I don't know what happened. I must have just laid on my pillow in the worst way and my neck just kills me. Or I'll wake up in the middle of the night because my, like, I'll be like, I have my arm like folded in a weird way underneath my body and I cut off circulation to my hands and my hands are like tingling and it wakes me up. I'm like, it's so crazy what you do when you're sleeping, you know, that that kind of makes sense. I was, uh, back when I was worse with my like restless leg syndrome, it was all related to some stress at work, I think. But anyway, Mm. I was doing the the running man thing in my sleep, I guess. <laughs> and uh, my toe got caught up in the bottom sheet, right? A little wrinkle yeah. or something. But I was pushing right. so hard on it, I got a charley horse in that calf. And that oh. woke me up. But it was so bad, I couldn't straighten my leg for oh. like an hour. Oh, it was horrible. Yeah, that's the worst. I had, uh, like, you ever get those nasty calf cramps when you're sleeping? Yeah. Oh, I used to get them all the time when I was running a lot, which kind of makes sense, I guess. Like when I was marathon training, I don't know, probably three times a week I'd get woken up and then, uh, and I was, uh, I'd try to get back into like more regular exercise routine and stuff. And I had the first one I've had probably in like a year. And I'd like, and it's funny because you feel it coming on and you wake up before it hits. And so I'm always like, okay. And there's a certain way I can hold my foot and it goes away quickly. But by the time you can feel it coming on, it's too late, right? And I'm like, oh, I hate that. And you wake up, and you just awake for like 10 seconds, and it's over. And it's like, okay, just go back to sleep. But when I was marathon training, I would have those so bad that I would have to get up out of bed. And I would like, I would be doing everything I could not to scream out loud. I would be like, "Ah!" oh, man, they used to be so bad. I think it was like lack of potassium or something like that. Yeah, that's your body maybe or... part of the problem. I mean, it's yeah can be part of the problem. There's a uh, potassium, uh, vitamin C, vitamin D, mm. D12. There's a multitude of reasons. Believe I went through this, and um, we finally that's what we when blah blah blah. I went and had a sleep study, and that's when we finally found out I was I had Russell's leg syndrome, and I was just mm. wearing my legs out, literally. Oh wow. Hmm. And you're like, That's your crazy. wife never told you, you know, you're kicking all night in your sleep. No, no, no. She'd have to quit snoring to be able to tell me that. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Huh. Right on. So I found, uh, I went out. The silly gate, man. That That is like uh, my nemesis. <laughs> this stupid gate. It's been like inoperable for about a week because I've just been so pissed off at him. Like, I'm just going to leave this stupid thing. Um, had a, you know, it, it's always on the fritz and I uh, got it working. Okay, good. And it was like, uh, it's funny because I had it working that night and then Kobe left for college and then the next morning it opened and then it didn't do anything and it actually lost power. And it's never lost power before. I've always been able to open up the thing and see status symbols and status lights and then there's also lights on the gate that point up to a sign and the address and stuff. But 
I went out and I'm like, this thing has no power. This makes no sense. And uh, my parents are traveling right now. Like uh, my dad, they're in Tokyo. My dad's doing a Tokyo marathon whenever that is. But um, I don't like to bug them all the time when they're on the road because schedules and I don't want to feel they're obligated to call me back or something. So I thought, whatever, I'll just leave it. And then my dad was texting me about something else. So I asked him and he goes, oh yeah, there's this junction box that sometimes, you know, they put it too low to the ground. And if there's a whole bunch of snow and it melts, but the water can't go anywhere, sometimes a junction box fills up. And so yesterday I'm like digging in the snow and I see this junction box, probably like a 12 inch by 12 inch plastic junction box gasketed. And I dig it up and then there's a whole bunch of rocks in front of it. And of course they're like solid ice. And so I've got an axe out there, like an old Fisker's axe that I'm just sacrificing because I can chip through the ice and I'm hitting the blade on the rocks and uh, had those big, you know, the big, huge metal crowbars, big motivators. Yeah. Busting out rocks and probably took me an hour and a half to get access to this stupid uh, junction box. Uh, And it's, so I undo it, open it up. There's four inches of ice in the bottom of it. I'm like, oh crap. And so it's got 220 power going out there because these are 220 motors that operate the gate. And then my dad basically just wired in a, a welding plug. And then, so if he needs to, he can just connect the whole, disconnect the whole issue. And so I was like trying to chip away at the ice with a screwdriver, just lightly going with a hammer. And, uh, end up taking part of the cover off of this electrical box. I thought, you know what? I'm going to busting wires here. So today what I got to go do is I'm going to take a generator out there and I'm going to just sit there with a heat gun until I can get that whole thing melted. And then I'll probably have to pump the water out. I've got one of those little pumps that go into your drill, cordless drill. Yeah. But it's like, oh, my dad's like, oh yeah, what you got to do is if you have a lot of snow, you got to, and if it, if you got warm weather coming, you kind of just take a shovel and just dig a little trough and the water will run away. And that's not a big deal. It'll take you 10 minutes to do, but I didn't know that. <laughs> so now I'm like, I opened up this electrical box and literally there's four inches of ice in it. I'm like, you kidding me? And wires everywhere, heavy, heavy wires, little signal cable wires. And that might explain like the, there's a keypad on the, on the highway side. So when you, you know, you could give the code to your friends and they could punch it in. That thing, the power went out to that like probably a month ago. And I'm like, whatever, I don't care. I'm going to deal with all of this in the summertime when it's not minus 20. And then that could explain too why I'm always having to put in the new communi- signal wires. There's two wires that go between the two operators. And it's like, oh, shoot, we don't have continuity. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of extras there. So I'll just pick two different colors, plug them in. Oh, everything works again. But it, it makes sense if those wires are all... I don't know if they're shorting out or who knows, but yeah, I don't think water and ice in a, in a 220 junction box is a good idea No, <laughs> with uh, 24 <clears throat> volt signal wires in there as well. No, it's not uh, so, good at all. Yeah. So that's what's on my plan for today. And then we got a, uh, tomorrow we're having a big, like a shindig out here. Got a bunch of friends coming over, doing like a skating party, snowmobiling party. Um, my one friend's bringing a brisket. An old man. So this guy, he he started doing sous vide like before he could commercially buy sous vides, right? Like years ago. And uh, started out with, I think he took an aquarium heater and had like a PID controller he made for it. And then temperature probes and he took this like, 
like a big cooler and modified it. So like, he's been doing sous vide briskets for like 10 years or something like this. And they're so good. And then he makes his sauce. It's like this Asian sauce. Oh, dude, I'm so excited. So I'm not exactly sure how many people are going to be here. Probably like, I would say between maybe 20 to 30 or 40. We're just waiting to back, hear back from a couple of people. But, oh, man, it's going to be fun. So I got to get the snowmobiles all ready today. I'd like that gate working if I could. And, oh, man, we got a lot of, a lot of work to do. But it'll be fun. You've been uh, doing any barbecue things lately? No. Nothing, huh? Nope. Not a thing. Um, it's been pretty much... Uh, I haven't cooked in a while. Hmm. Just my hands. I, yeah, I was going to say, I guess with your hands not not being comfortable, it's not something you'll jump to well, do. Well, I went to uh, make a... I don't know what you call it. I call it an omelet, but... It's just uh, flipped one time, you know, folded once, and yep. uh, but I, I put the egg in the pan. I switch it around, and then w before it sets up good, I can flip it once, and then that, you know, fold that. But anyway, I can't flip pans right now. Oh no! Just no strength in that position of my hands. Yeah. Uh, yesterday I had to get Danette to drive me into town to get a haircut for my uh, doohickey tonight. and uh, uh, Just because uh, like, your hands were hurting so much you couldn't even drive? Yeah. Oh, that sucks. And, you know, could I drive? Yes. Now, could I, you know, grab the wheel with that kind of... Uh, grip that you would need in an emergency because it's not, probably not so i don't want to mm. risk it yeah yeah i'm not one of those people that are like oh i'm good enough to drive if you have to say to yourself <laughs> i'm good enough to drive you're not good enough to drive <laughs> that's right that's funny and i've seen it so i don't know how many times um one of the funniest ones was uh this lady up in Montana, was leaving a bar, and we're like, no, 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 no. She's like, I'm good enough. I'm fine. Uh, no, you're not. No, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then the bartender was like, just let her go, trust me. So he, he like, you know, she leaves. We follow her to the door and then around to the side of the building. He's like, just watch. She gets in her car. Everything is fine up to this point, right? She's walking fine. She's using her keys fine. She gets in her car, starts it up, puts it in gear, and never once realizing she's blocked in by parked cars on three sides and a building Ooh. on the driver's side. She just rams right into the car in front of her. <laughs> That's funny. And I'm like, oh, my God, she just hit somebody. And the bartender's like, eh, it's mine. I knew she was huh. going to do that. You know, I, that's the car I drive to work, you know. And it's got, you know, homemade, like, cattle bumpers all the way around. Like, yeah. it's not going to hurt me. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. That's crazy. I said, what do we do with her now? He said, just leave her be. Just leave her, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, you know what those uh, 
Montana and Texas seem to be states. I don't know about Tennessee. I have that are huge for those big like aftermarket bumpers. Are they They're popular? All over live? now. Yeah, everywhere except Canada. No, I'm in in the but, states. Yeah, yeah. And there's some like really nice looking ones. Like some, I guess some guys up here will have them, but they're purely for aesthetics. Like they're like fairly thin, laser cut sheet metal. They'll have like, uh, oh, what's that skull that's like an operator? Oh, shoot. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, they'll have like that symbol in it and then lights all in it and stuff. And it's like, okay. Yeah, it looks, it looks kind of cool, but honestly, that that's just going to fold as soon as you bump something with it. But I remember seeing them down in Texas and they were made of heavy steel, you know, fairly decent thick steel. They looked good, but then they were like so practical. Like they would have actually like integrated tow hooks that looked good. And then a place for some fog lights that looked good. And in the back, I've seen some of them that have like additional places where you can like mount a, a vice and stuff. I'm like, it's, it's like for a work truck. And I'm like, that makes this truck way more practical. I always thought that'd be fun to build something like that. And then you also have the added benefit. It was like, yeah, like literally this thing's like, you, you can bump into something, give something a little nudge, and you're not going to damage your truck at all, you know? Yeah. I thought those would be cool. I got one on the Tacoma. Um, Do you? It's, you know, um, da -da 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 -da. it's DOM tubing. So Okay. Uh, chrome molly. So, I mean, it's not, it's light-ish, but it's strong. So. Yeah, yeah. Just, I put that on there in, geez, in 2009 when the truck was new. Hmm. I was just going to say, what year is your taco? It's slightly, 2009, yeah, eh? 2009, yeah. Got 95,000 miles on it, give or take. You ever, you ever going to sell that truck? No. Actually, it was, it's been a hard no until yesterday. Until yesterday. Why, what changed yesterday? Can't talk about it. Oh, okay. Until <laughs> tomorrow. Okay, gotcha. Um, you know, those trucks are, I like, I like Tacomas. Like, I see why they have such a cult following. They're just, man, people that like their tacos. Well, yeah, obviously I know a little bit about it because that's what they, like, a lot of them call it yeah. my taco, but. I was no, uh, just talking to somebody. Great trucks. There's burnt up, and uh, oh no, well, they they did some their own aftermarket work, and then their truck burnt <laughs> up a couple of years later. Just saying, um, <laughs> but, I'm good uh, enough to drive. I can fix my own truck too. <laughs> yeah. But uh, hmm. we're talking about tacos, and he's like, "Man, you know, they're the best things in the world." Blah 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 blah, and. Uh, he was asking me if I wanted to sell mine. And no, 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 no. And in my head, I'm like, no, not to you. But anyway, um, just kidding. And on the way home, <laughs> I just started paying attention. I, there are a lot of Toyotas around here, a ton, because hmm. some Toyotas are assembled here in Tennessee. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and then Alabama. And anyway, um, <clears throat> what was this? Oh yeah, I was like, man. There's a taco, there's a taco, there's a taco. There. I, I was like, oh, my God. And we have a small town. I mean, tiny. Hmm. And I'm like, there's a taco, there's a taco. Oh, it's a taco. Hmm. Yeah. But uh, they're awesome trucks, and I'd like to get another one um, just as a, a real beater. I know my taco mm -hmm. is supposed to be our beater. But it's like, you know, 
Yeah, probably pretty nice. It's though. supposed to be a beater, but I'm like, I can't do that in my truck. So I want to get one that's just a beater, but in really good shape. And I want to fix it up, <laughs> almost restore just. it, but it be the quote unquote beater. You know. And then you would then you'll be in the same situation. Like, no, because well, I'll go into it knowing it's beater. Yeah, you know, yeah. If I, if I say that up front, and there's no way that any Tacoma I buy today would do the same things that the one I already have has done, because I'm not going to do those things again. You know, because mm-hmm. um, I don't live in those places. I don't have a need to, you know, drive. 800 miles to a blizzard with absolutely no problems, by the way, not even slipped once. That truck has been just amazing. Hmm. Is it a five speed? Is it a uh, standard or automatic? It's automatic. We okay. couldn't. In 2009, when I bought that truck, you could not find a four door Long bed Tacoma, four by four in standard. Really, they did not make them that year, allegedly. Hmm. And I've never been able to find one. I can, I could have got a four by four, just the an extended cab, mm-hmm. um, long bed, but didn't want that. Mm-hmm. Which is right, like right now, what I want is. One that's just like the old Hilux. I want a four by four long bed or short bed extendo. You know, not yeah. four door, just a little room behind the seat. Throw a chainsaw mm-hmm. or something, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, have that. Yeah. Yeah, that little room behind the front seat's handy. Like my truck is a eight foot box, my Chevy. But it's just a standard cab, and so behind the seat, man, like you can put, you know, your your brush for scraping the windshield, a tow rope, and jumper cables. But that's pretty much all you can get back there. And I always thought, man, just just like an extra, if you had like an extra like ten inches, an extra foot there, man, it'd be so. You could put a little toolbox in. There. Like I can't put any toolbox. If I had a real small tool bag, I could. But and so then I have the um, like aluminum box in my truck. And that's that's fine. Like I got like a jack all in there, tow ropes, all kinds of big toolbox. Probably have too much stuff in there, but um, the only time it's a pain is it, depending on how much wood I want to pick up. You know, like I think I, I got probably from the the floor of the box up to the bottom of this toolbox is about I don't know. I'd say about a foot. So when you start stacking sheets of plywood in there or something like that, it kind of limits what you can carry, but. And then I don't know, I like, I set this toolbox up. I'm like, oh, that's going to be great. You know, I'm going to be prepared. <laughs> and uh, the only thing I ever get out of there is my ratchet straps. Like I got a little, little tote, Rubbermaid tote with about 20 ratchet straps, all nice, neatly bundled up. And I use two of them on the regular. And that's the only thing I ever use that toolbox for, like that and the booster cables. But I'm kind of like, you know what? I, I could get rid of this toolbox, you know? And then if you're hauling a motorcycle, it's kind of a pain because not the whole thing, it, that's the nice thing if you have a full eight-foot box, man. You throw any motorbike up there you want. You can throw a snowmobile in there. But I can't do that now because, you know, I can't close the tailgate because I got this silly toolbox on there. But we'll see. should make my own aluminum one that goes, you know, kind of bridges over the wheel wells and stuff like that. 
doesn't have to be big. You know, don't need a super wide just to keep the essentials. But yeah. <clears throat> it might be a fun little project for a sponsored video or something. Who knows? I will forego giving any kind of um, advice on that one. <laughs> Did you like that video? No, because, you know. Uh, that was no, a brilliant it was it, No, it was great. It was great. It Now, I do have some, you know, constructive criticism. But yeah, let me hear it. Let me hear it. Dude, man, that thing's got a ton of comments. It's fantastic. Oh, I, I, have, I won't even look at those comments because I'm afraid. <laughs> Oh no no that not once uh, I don't I haven't looked at all of them but I think not nothing says anything about you it's all about how I can do things better and there's yeah. actually a lot of good ideas but I want to hear what you got I would move the your handle from yeah. the middle to the end closest to the door of the forge yeah that's a good idea actually. and I would use either hex or flat bar you know tiny little flat bar that's mm-hmm. t- canted at a forty five and. Mm-hmm. Then, um, on the other, the inside of the forge, all the way to the back end of it, instead of having your leg that you have to kick off. Just the stand. Just the stand, but maybe a piece of the, uh, a little tiny piece of the brick, the fire brick, that that little Mm -hmm. light stuff that people keep inside their forge. Yeah. Sometimes. um, At the right height, with a little V-notch in it. Yeah, that's a good idea. Put it right there. And then uh, maybe make your, I, and I don't know if this is possible. You would more than I would, but make the uh, front leg uh, maybe out of a lighter gauge stainless steel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then just leave it on. Make that permanent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And bloop. And you, you take it out, bloop, and then you're good. Yeah. No, that would work good. Um, Go ahead. No, I was like, I've had so many Instagram messages and people sending me pictures and videos of their setups. And the, honestly, the biggest, the biggest problem I have is that I haven't upgraded my quench tank. So that's like a constraint. It's a little 30 caliber ammo can and it's like 10 and an eighth inches by like three inches. So it's like, you know, if I just got a bigger container of some sort, a metal five-gallon pail, and filled that sucker up. So there's one guy out of, uh, I forget where he's, somewhere in Eastern Europe. But he actually has a stainless steel tray, and it's a little tray. It's probably like four inches long, and then little fingers come up, kind of like a fork on each side, and he'll put six blades in there. And then he has a little handle going over the top, kind of like a little, like makes it look like a picnic basket. And his quench tank is huge. And so he doesn't care that he's got all this. That's my biggest concern is that with that small quench tank, all that extra thermal mass, I mean, it it doesn't take a lot to heat up that oil, you know. But he just pulls six blades at a time and he'll do like six, eight inch blades. And he's got this big quench tank and he just moves it like an arms stretch back and forth, probably 24 inches, you know, just back and forth in this tank. He says he's been doing that for years. And uh, so it's a... The idea of quenching more blades, like a bunch of blades at one time, is b- brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But you just have to set it up properly. And I, that's what I'm not there yet. It was just a, a test run, right? Yeah, like, yeah. hey, give this a try. So, also, when I, uh, like when I picked up my kiln and my 
the elk grinder. I went actually and visited the guy that used to own CanadianKnifeMaker.ca. And him and his buddy got together and they made what they call the ultimate quenchant tank. And so they got a piece of, I would say it's about 14 inch diameter pipe. And they have it kind of mounted on the floor on this cart. It probably ends up being about the same volume as a five gallon pail. And then they've got a reservoir of oil to the side filled with Parks 50. And then they put in like an oil transfer pump with a a thread on oil filter. And so when you turn this thing on, it basically just cycles the oil and has it all flowing. So he says you stick a blade in there, you don't even need to move it because he's got this oil pump. And uh, man, if you had something like that, and he said that we are always getting the cooler oil from the reservoir coming right away. And then he also has a preheater in the reservoir. So if he wants to heat it up to like some... Some recipes, they apparently it makes a big difference if you like, get the oil to like 200 or 250 first, so it has the right viscosity. But um, man, if you had something like that, you could like just throw like five, ten blades in there, and that oil would be moving. You tons of oil to to do the work, you know. Yeah, but, brilliant idea though. I love the idea, <laughs> but I sure had a janky way to go about it. <laughs> well, I mean, you don't want to go all in on a and then bad execution or one little thing doesn't go right and you have to redo it all yeah yeah you know um you, you know the funny thing is you put one idea out there and you get 30 brilliant ideas back that i would never have thought of on my own and i wouldn't have found like, if you just Google quenching multiple blades at once, I, I'm pretty sure some of the stuff people have showed me, videos they've sent, comments they've made, wouldn't be information that I can just go out and find. So it's unbelievable. Like, sometimes, like, something like this, it's like, here's an idea, you know, kind of, and that that's how I, I said it. Like, this is just an idea. I want to try this approach, see if, see if this is something to work on. And then if anybody stayed around to the end of the video, I said, you know what? I think this is the first step in a, in a journey towards a successful multi-blade heat treat operation. And the comments, I'm like, wow, like I probably have 10 ways that I feel rock solid would be the perfect solution. And I just got those because all I did was put a video of what I tried, you know, so it works out. But. Well, a lot of people said just to, and I, I guess I never thought about this. It's a little slower than I would like, but just take a small threaded rod and just put a nut on either side of the holes in the end of the handle. And I'm like, yeah, that would actually work good. And that way everything's rigid. No blades are dangling and swinging. And then you could just grab them. I'm like, that, that would be pretty quick. But the thing is with the oil and then threading on, threading out, like it would take you like more time. I want something faster than that. To me, that's a bit of a clunky setup. You're gonna have to run that the nuts down all that. That's why I was saying just uh, um, little spacers that. Yeah, yeah. You know, because it would all slide on, slide on. You know, maybe a nut on one end and a nut on the other, maybe, maybe, or just a nut on one end, your handle on the other. That way, you got your handle, a spacer, knife, spacer, blah, 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 all the way down to your nut. That way, you only ever have to do one nut and you slide everything else on. Yeah, that's a good idea. And then um, I haven't done the video on this yet, but I went back and the, so I'm doing 11 knives all together. And I went back and I took the five that I had did. And you did, so you saw that view. You can see how quickly that temperature changed in the front there. Hey. Yeah. As soon as you um, started taking it out, I was looking yeah. at the blade tips. Cause that's what I was worried about. Um, Cause that would be getting cooler faster. 
and it's, yep. you pull it out. And I know that the camera changes the color of that steel, the hot steel, quite a bit. Um, so what you see in real life and what you see through the camera when it comes to that cherry red is a little different. But I'm like, no, nah, no, that's cooling off too fast. Yeah. They were some of the some of them like the ones that were closest to the door. They were all, they almost looked black when they hit the oil. And it's funny because I wasn't paying any attention to that when I was doing it. Obviously, I'm like, okay, I've got a sequence of operations I need to execute here. And I, I was trying to just basically go as fast as I possibly could. And then I was like, sweet, this is great. And then when I went back when I was editing, looking at the footage, I'm like, no, no, no. And yeah, they do skate a file. Uh, but then I took the last six blades and I just did them the old fashioned way. So I just put them on my little ceramic rack there, heated them all up at once, took one out, quenched it, dried it off, took another one out, quenched it, dried it off. And it's not like the, the first batch, the files don't grab at all, but the second batch, it is definitely even harder. And, um, so then I ended up redoing all of them. I just sandblasted those first five. And then I just threw them back in the oven. Because, I mean, they hadn't been annealed or anything like that. I'm not worried about, like, stress in that steel. So I just let them soak there for another 20 minutes at 1,600. And then one at a time, dunked them, and then checked again. And, yeah, it's funny because, like, like where they, that's why I guess, I don't know, those hardness files might be an advantage. But it skates a file, but then one of them skates a file even more, right? It's not like either one of them you could take material off or even even make, like, little sawdust with it, but... It somehow you could feel it and hear it, you know, it was just different. And and maybe the first one was fine. Maybe that is hard enough, but you could tell that that batch, what I was doing it one at a time. And, you know, you get the tongs on there and boom, like within half a second, then I had my oil can like right beside the fort, the, the kiln. So it's like, bang, bang. And it's, man, it's a incredible difference how much harder that stuff was. But Yeah. And I would, you know, if that's going to be an issue, you'd have to take that time into account and maybe heat, uh, you know, increase your soak time on the heat or, you know, bump it up 10 degrees. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and that's, and see that, that's my recipe. And that's for a danger O1. too. But. Yeah. See, oh, one, they say 1550. That's a 1525 to 1550. And that's what I used to do. And then I noticed, I'm like, I just, I don't think I'm getting full hardness on these things. And, I started doing some testing and is it was because O one cools down so fast. Like I've done ten eighty four and it was fine. Fifteen fifty, fifteen twenty five, boom. By the time it hits the oil, it looks very, very similar to right when you pulled it out of the kiln. But O one, man, well, even in the video, you see you open a door and it starts changing color. Like it's crazy how fast that stuff loses its heat. And especially on a you know, little tiny blades there, there's not a lot of thermal mass. Um but yeah, and so I jacked mine up to, because if you read recipes for heat treating 01, they don't say 1600. But, and then I, I guess I don't have like a calibrated thermometer that I can say, like it could just be that maybe my little, uh, oh, what's that thing? Pyrometer or whatever is slightly out or something. I don't know. But, but yeah, definitely. I was, I was getting better results heat treating with uh, a forge because you can see the color and decide and pull it out whenever you want than I was with my kiln for a while there. I mean, that was years, years ago, but yeah. Yeah. So that'll <clears throat> be fun to have those blades done. Oh yeah. A lot of people asking where, where can I buy these? Where can I buy these? Can I pre-buy them? Can I pre-buy them? I'm like, nope. <laughs> 
no pre-buying anything. Sorry. When they're available, they will be on my website. Yep. Yeah, a lot of farting around to do still, though, so. And then yesterday was like reheat treating them and then tampering them all. And it's like, can't really, uh, can't really make interesting videos with that stuff. <sighs> but yeah, anywho. Yeah, I kind of would keep wondering if spring's on the way. Because like yesterday afternoon after a blizzard in the morning, it was like 4 degrees, 5 degrees Celsius, which is, I don't know, maybe 40 Fahrenheit. And it was sunny. And I was like, we took the last of the snow that we had around and we just kind of like threw it out into the parking lot on the asphalt there. And it just melts within minutes. And walked around with just a t-shirt on. I'm like, this is nice. I'm, I've heard some birds singing that I haven't heard since summertime so i'm like i don't know this could be it we could be on the change here it's funny if all like all these guys like some guys in tennessee and missouri they're like what a beautiful spring day <laughs> like the grass is starting to turn green i'm like are you kidding me <laughs> we got like six inches of snow last week yeah, uh, things... everything's changing here oh um, man jealous um, our winter broke early and it sucks but because I hate mowing grass now. Yeah. And I'm going to, and here's the problem right, right in our little, in my, on my property is it stays too wet too long. Right. And by the time it dries mm -hmm. out enough for you to mow it, it's already too late. You know, it, mm. I'm yes, like, thick. Ugh. Hmm. that's a bummer. Yeah. Well, whatever. I have to deal with it or move. You know, <laughs> move up, up this way, you know, live in Montana. You don't have to worry about mowing grass all as much. <laughs> it's just the shoveling, the snow and the break and the ice that you got to do. Well, if you never leave the house, you don't have to do any of that. But. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Now, I, uh, there's no good. Because uh, if you don't want to mow grass, you don't want to shovel snow. You have to live in a city, a big city. Uh, no, that's a hard no. Yeah. Never, ever. And likely, likely in a condo, too, or a townhouse or something where you don't Never, have ever, ever. Never. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, yeah. you know, because somebody was like, well, what if, you know, you, you got paid all the money in the world? Nope. Oh, you'd do it. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> I just yeah. wouldn't, you know, but. Yeah. Well, you know, with all the money in the world, you can just buy the... No. Not happening. Cause, yeah. Uh, you know, living in a building, you're still... Once you get home, you're still home. You don't have to deal with... But people are the problem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Actually, people are the root of every problem. But, um, yeah, yeah. You, know, you still have to go outside and deal with them. Here... And... I'm having to deal right now with, uh, we have one of the people that travel our little road, uh, which I don't know, they shouldn't be here because we are now the only people who live on this road. Right? Oh, wow. And he comes by and he's got this just POS old truck. No, like the back window is not there. Yeah. Um, there's more rust than body. 
But I'll be darned yeah. if he doesn't have like a what sounds like a fifty thousand watt stereo in it coming uh. by here. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> really, really. Uh, that's and, you know if he works down here, I like I'm not gonna say anything from six a.m. to six p.m. But you know, like last night, it was ten o'clock, and you oh, come wow. by here with. And dude, I can hear him two miles away. God, that's annoying. Hmm. You know, like I hadn't noticed people doing that, like on, when you're driving, but it seems the last couple months, like I'll be at an intersection, all of a sudden a car pulls up, and he's just like, I'm like, seriously, first, like, ah, oh, I don't get it. Like, I don't understand. First of all, you, that's that's dangerous because you can't hear what's going on around you. You know, somebody's lost traction and the light turns red and they can't stop and they're sliding and they go ahead and lay their horn on just to be like, hey, I'm coming through. I can't actually stop right now. You don't know that. Boom, there's an accident. Didn't need to happen. If, if you could actually hear what was going on outside of your vehicle a little bit. I don't know. It drives me nuts. I feel like when people do that, I did this to one guy. Uh, this was years ago, but pulled up and it was so loud. Like I could feel it. And I just put my horn on and I just left my horn. And then he looks over at me and I'm just like, hey, man, you're making noise. I'll make noise, too. And he started he rolls down his window and starts talking to me while his music's still playing. And I'm like, there's no way you could hear him. I mean, why? I know, and then he and then he's laying on his horn, but he didn't turn his music down. I'm like, you're brilliant. You're just a real smart guy. You are. That's annoying. You wish there's something you could do, like a small-scale EMP that you could just point at the vehicle and just fry the speakers, like, at once. Boom. <laughs> it just shreds. Wait, wait, what happened? There we go. That's something you could market, hey? Oh, yeah. I'm working on it now. Right on. Dude, speaking of marketing... I'm I'm getting like three emails a day from these stupid Chinese companies that want me to flock their wares. It is getting ridiculous. So I've got a new line. They're, they're like this company emailed me. We've got a 3.6 volt screwdriver we'd like you to test, or a 20 volt cordless drill. And I just replied. I said my price to think about this would be ten thousand U.S. dollars paid in advance. And then they got back to me. He's like, okay, we'll take this to our team and think about it. <laughs> it's like, but if you don't reply to them, they'll send you five more emails in the next two to three days. Just curious if you got my last email. Just curious if you got my last email. It's like, shut up. If I did get it and haven't got back to you, why is sending five more to, to me going to help? You know, it's getting bad. But I got one that I'm interested in. There's one, one company wants me to look at a 20-watt laser. And I'm like, I don't know. I got to look into it a little bit, but. They'll send me a laser for free, and uh, I, they want an eight-minute video on it. But the nice thing, most of these companies, you just say, okay, here's my terms. If this thing's garbage or if it doesn't work the way I want it to, y you can pay to have it shipped back to you. Like, I will not ship this back to you. I will not make a video. Like, if, if this is, like, something I wouldn't be excited to purchase myself, there, there will not be a video. And most of them will agree to it on that terms. I'm like, okay. So, I don't know. We'll see. It'll be nice to have it. This one will, will engrave uh, metal. Um, so it'll be nice for marking and logos, although that's a slower process than electro etching. Unless you've got a powerful laser, you know? Yeah. That's what's yeah. so funny about this laser thing that's going around. You know, it's not, mm -hmm. it's not powerful enough to do what 
most people would want it to do. Mm-hmm. And they're bloody expensive. And the uh, anytime you see them doing any kind of metal, and I'm using air quotes for metal, it's like aluminum foil. Yeah. You know, that it's aluminum, but it's only as thick as that stainless steel foil. Yeah. Tiny, I'm like, what would you even do with that? Yeah. Well, do you know Chris Zepp from Make Everything? Yeah. Um, I'm actually wearing his shirt right now. He sent me a shirt like a couple years ago. Anyways, he has a Wazer and he kind of, this is probably two years ago, three, I saw him do a video about it and why it's, a, why it could be advantageous. And his big thing was like, he can be doing other work while the Wazer's cutting stuff out. So he took a knife template and cut it out. And I, I don't know, like one eighth inch or like it was actually practical steel. I think it was 1084 or something like that. And it took 47 minutes to cut out this, um, this blade and he's like and it is true that's 47 minutes he could be grinding bevels on other knives but then i'm also like for the price of that thing like i could literally cut that and drill those holes in 10 minutes and so for the thousands of dollars that things cost plus that thing's using up quite a bit of electricity the aggregate is really expensive and you have to clean those all those wazers in particular they say they are so fussy with cleanliness like it's not like you can just leave it there and, you know, use it for a couple months and then clean stuff out. They say it's almost like after every job, you've got to clean this stuff out and make sure you're, what do they call it? What's the name for it? It's not aggregate. Um, do you know what they call it? The, the, when it's sand for a laser, for a water cutter, water jet. Oh, oh no. Yeah. It's a what, what, garnet. Yeah. That's what they call it. And so, like, they say you got to make sure your garnet's clean and cleaning the water very regularly. And so I'm like, you know, I don't know. If, if I were to say, listen, I'm going to be do, like, some pretty high production runs here, like 50 blades, I would not be doing it on that thing. I would be like, okay, let's let's find a company where I can just send this out. I've got water cutting companies in the city here. The big, huge ones that could cut one knife out in about 10 seconds. And <laughs> it's like... I, I truly do not see the purpose of owning something like a Wazer. It's it's a neat idea. It's a great idea. And if they could have done it for like a fraction of the cost, yeah. You, know, you got to make a custom bracket for welding a custom differential and a four-wheel drive you're making. Sure, cool, great. But dude, man, it's ugh, I, I don't understand it. I think they've created a product for a market that doesn't exist. You know? Yeah. I mean, there's only so and, many... Leather keychains you can cut out and engrave. Yeah. yeah. The same thing with the Glowforge. Like, I, I've looked at getting a Glowforge before. And, and the reason I kind of like that is that it's, they've put so much into the software for it and its operation. But same thing. Like, like I spec'd one out here just before Christmas. I think the one I want would be like twelve, fourteen thousand dollars $14,000. And it's like, man, that's a lot of money. Like, you've got to do a lot of widgets and, and doohickeys to come close to paying that thing off, you know? Whereas now these Chinese ones, I mean, they're definitely not as nice to use. And I, I don't know. Most, a lot of them aren't as powerful, but you can get a laser now for like seven, eight hundred bucks, you know? And these Chinese ones are only going to get less and less expensive. So then it's kind of like you look at something like the Glowforge, and yes, real nice. You know, they've got all this stuff, and but man is it worth the price again i think the market that would think that is worth the money is almost a non-existent market when you've got 
if you're doing digital files anyways, you can set up one of these little Chinese lasers and have it do the same thing. But it's weird. Weird, weird, weird. I guess it depends on what your product is. Yeah, you that's to, true. You have to, you know, really, you have to pick your tools and processes based on your end product. What's more uh, efficient and economically viable? Uh, yeah. If you want to do like some of these folks, that, that, oh, I'm going to do, you know, a range of products, right? Yeah. Well, then you need like a jack of all trades tool and it's not going to be the best for any of the ones that you're doing. Yeah. But. That's true. Oh, you know, like one dude, uh, I don't even know who this is. I don't even think they're in the, in our hemisphere, but they were doing, uh, some kind of thing. Right. And they had a, uh, European version of a Haas CNC, five axis CNC. And they were doing this thing. Well, part of their thing was uh, a little piece of wood, right? Maybe it was a cheese knife. I don't know. So they were going to use the CNC to do the wood as well. And I'm like, eh, not a good idea. You're putting sawdust in your CNC machine. And they yeah, found that yeah. out. But. Yeah. Yeah, no, like Brian House, he has, a, he bought a Haas, is it Haas, maybe Mill? I forget, or, or Tormac, I forget which one he got, but then he's like, he also wants to get like a fairly robust, decent uh, CNC router table, and then some, when somebody was asking him, was like, why don't you just use your new CNC mill? He's like, oh no, he goes, that's a coolant machine, and that's for metal cutting. You you really don't want to be putting any wood inside that thing. I'm like, good. <laughs> you know. Yeah, now, this open deck one, that uh, the new one, the A-bomb's got, that 12-foot long uh, open uh, Miltronics. Is it overhead a or? CNC. Um, you might be able to do it on that, but I still wouldn't recommend it. Huh. The... Uh, I've been wanting a CNC router for like 20 years. I just, I can't. It's somewhat expensive, you know, mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. a good one, a good yeah. quality one, rigid enough, not a homeowner weekender version. Because mm -hmm. some of these cut so roughly, you know, it takes longer to yeah. make that surface <laughs> finishable than just doing it another way to begin with. Yeah. That's and true. then you get up to these higher end ones, you know, 30, 40 grand. I'm like, uh, no. Yeah. But yeah. That's why I I've been looking that. at, um, like when industrial shops go out of business and auction everything off. Mm -hmm. But for the last five years, they've been thinking they're gold. No, you wore the machine out. Now you're out of business and you want to auction it off. And the prices are going for, you know, 80% of retail. No. That's crazy. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> Dude, that, you know that I was told you I was looking at a five access, uh, CNC machine and a, uh, uh, plasma table. Yeah. Both of those went, uh, the five access CNC went for about 99% of retail and it's wow. 15 years old. Wow. And the, 
brand new, never been used uh, Lincoln CNC plasma table went for more than retail, literally, wow. because you put in tax, um, buy, buyer's premium, and going to get it or shipping it. They paid more than you would if you just bought a new one. That's crazy. That is ding dang donkulous. I'm like, no, good for the auction company. Good for the yeah. seller. Yeah. Hmm. Not so much for the buyer, but you know, your money wasted on what yeah. you want. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, it's not. Or instead of you know buying something stupid, you can just gift your money to me. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny, like, I, I feel weird because I really see the value in learning digital fabrication, CNC, CNC uh, 3D printing. Like, I, I'm fascinated by it, but not enough to really, and even with doing drawings, I'm like, oh, I really should learn. Like, I've got some uh, 3D modeling apps on my iPad, and I'm like, I really should just delve into this and get myself out of the last century. But then I'm also kind of like, you know what? I just, I don't know why. I'm like, mm, I would rather make stuff by hand. I'd rather fire up my milling machine, my lathe. And, and I don't know if it's because that's how I started building stuff. Like there was no CNC stuff, or, or at least it was very uncommon. Of course, there, you know, in the 90s, there were CNC milling shops with like old Fadals or whatever they were. Um, you know, like paper tape, the ticker tape, whatever you'd have to punch out and program. But I don't know. I, I never learned that stuff. I never, it was always like, okay, you got to build this part. So let's figure out how you're going to take this solid piece of meal, uh, metal and subtract material from it, which processes you're going to use. And you're going to end up with this. And that's how I think that's how my brain works. It's like, oh, I want to make this little widget. Okay, well, I'm going to do this, 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 this. I never think, okay, let me go draw this up and then write a, I don't know. It's just weird. I, I'm fascinated by digital fabrication, but at the same time, I, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if I never, ever, ever spend time, put any effort towards it. Because I just, it's neat. It's cool. But do you want to do it, Jared? Or do you just wanna, I'd rather go practice TIG welding than, than try and learn digital fabrication. I don't know. It's strange. Well, and I'm not against it, not by any <clears> means, but. It. It's kind of like the uh, 3D printer stuff. Um, it's cool. I've wanted to learn it since it was, you know, came out commercially. Mm -hmm. But why? You know, I don't. I have no way of even if I want to just learn it to be learning it. I'd like to get the money back for, you know, the material and the machine. Mm -hmm. I have no, you know. Yeah. Now, I did hear an interesting offshoot to a story i was just watching this one of the youtube channels i watched and they went to go pick up a frame of a car from somebody else i guess they're pretty famous guys but i don't know who they are they won uh sema this year battle of the builders hmm. and, uh, they're some of the best automotive fabricators in the world and uh they went there, they you know, they picked up the frame from these famous guys that I don't know who they are. And while they were there, they're like, oh, they also have this other thing that they do, this, you know, 
other business side of their business where they make money. They make uh, billet aluminum parts, pieces, gadgets, you know, brackets for people who are rebuilding cars. Hmm. And this is, you know, re- rebuilding and hot rodding and flipping is more popular now than it has ever been. And they made a couple of fortunes simply by, you know, because you get into rebuilding a car. Oh, I want to restore my car. And you're a guy like me or you, right? You're going to do it mm-hmm. yourself, but you know kind of what you're doing. And, oh, you know, I, I need to beef up this frame. I need some brackets. That's where these guys started. Oh, wow. They started making brackets that you could buy, ready-made, put on your frame and weld in, right? Yeah, yeah. And then they went into the accessory stuff with all the aluminum uh, billet CNC stuff. And they, they just laugh all the way to the bank. But they, hmm. you know, they were already in an industry and then saw a way, you know, to profit from other people's interest in that industry. And I would just, you know. That's cool. It is. That is neat. Yeah. You know, I think, like, thinking about 3D printing, when they kind of first started coming on the scene, and, like, you'd start seeing YouTube, I don't know, what do you think, like, maybe 10 years ago? You know, like, when it's, like, maybe 15, I don't know for sure. But um, I think the big thing back then was that the from what I remember is that the materials they were printing with the filaments, the plastic that was the end product was so weak that I was always kind of like, yeah, that's, that's neat. But yeah, you know, I'd see guys make like, um, cable organizers. So they would have like, just print a little clip that was like a nice snug fit on whatever cable it was that they need to, to organize. And then they would put a little piece of double-sided tape on the bottom and you know, there you go. I could put these on the back of my desk and keep this cable running organized behind my desk. And I'm like, eh, okay, okay. You, you printed all that crap and I've got zip ties. <laughs> you can buy zip ties that have a hole for the screw. So I can put a small screw there. Or you can buy little squares that have adhesive on them that take a zip tie. So I think I'll just stick with the zip ties, thanks. Like I could have that done in, in three minutes or, you know, it's like you, you spent like 17 hours printing these pieces but I think now the filaments and, and the way they're doing it, I think they're actually making some better stuff. Like one pickle that I, I was in here when I was kind of setting up <clears throat> this little recording area is my overhead boom mic. I didn't know, like I had one of those clamp on mic holders that came with it. But in the process of moving, I had no clue where it was. And I thought, man, if I had a 3D printer, it'd be so easy just to download a file and print off this little thing that would clamp to my desk. And I think now the materials are strong enough that it actually would hold up this boom mic, you know, but I don't know. Like, like when I just think back when they came in, I always thought that it was kind of, okay, you could print your own chess pieces. <laughs> so <laughs> that's stupid. I don't, I don't know. But I, I think they are getting more and more practical. It's like, yeah, this is actually a usable part or you can make an actual jig for woodworking. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I think the technology as far as the materials that are the final product have come a long way in the last 10 years. What yeah, do you think about and that? The, pl- the plastics are more structurally sound. 
Yeah. You know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, they just look cheap and like they'd break, fall apart. Yeah. I'm not using that. Yeah. That's dangerous. Yeah. Exactly. Well, well we just, was that? Remember that, that uh, uh, Neil Warren. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Raffle that we uh, talked about. Yeah. I entered that with what I think is a pretty good, you know. Good cause. Huh? Did you win? I won a, the message says, I won, you won a blade from Ben's Bite and Brian House. Ben no will kidding. be reaching out to you. You won um, that one. And it says... Yeah, Ben Siegel, and it is a, a forged blade yeah. kitchen knife. Oh, congratulations, Todd. Yeah. You know, they did that one. Weren't they originally going to do it for like a Ukraine relief or something, and they just never ended up finishing it? And so, because I've heard they were talking about that knife on the Work for it podcast. Yeah. That's awesome. You won that. Yeah. Cool. I can't wait to It'll hear be about here it. today, and, apparently. Oh, really? You it was supposed to be here Monday, but my uh, USPS informed delivery just told me it'll be here today. Hmm. You gonna put up some pictures on the old IG? Of course. Good, good, good. That's cool. Know. Yes. Oh, I, I meant to ask you too. We never talked about it here, but um, have you tried your uh, your TS Prof Cadet? I, I have not yet. Okay. Um, I was just I was sharpening some knives yesterday, and I just thought of I was like, I haven't asked Todd if he's tried it yet. I have some, a group of knives I've put in a place near it, and yep. uh, I'm waiting on my dexterity to come back a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, you don't, you don't want to be sharp with those style knife sharpers with the blade facing towards you and your hand moving towards it. You want to make sure that you are, you've got a sound grip and full control with your fingers. So yeah, that's a good idea just to wait for a bit. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Oh, well, <laughs> oh dear. <clears throat> no, I had a knife. There's a knife I forged, I don't know, two years ago. It's going to be a present for my parents. And then when I was hand sanding it, and I still have to look hard for it now, but there is a crack. There is a crack definitely in the blade. And it's about an inch long. And it's probably like at about, no, it's maybe a half inch long. And it goes about a third of the way up the bevel and other than that it was a great knife like all hand forged distal taper and I thought well I'm not going to give this to my parents and so I just threw it in the drawer and then I made a handle for it and the wood cracked and this that every like every time I do something to this knife something bad happens and then yesterday I was um not doing any of this on camera because I'm like whatever I did a little thing on Instagram but I um I put it in a clamp like a just a you know those fast grip clamps or whatever and uh, I put a little hot glue because I had a lot of comments of people saying that they use hot glue for their wall handles. And it kind of makes sense because I know <clears throat> traditionally they're supposed to be removable, right? And even talking with a guy that owns the knifeware who imports Japanese knives, when he first started doing it, people were complaining because you could grab the handle and the knife real hard and pull them apart. But that's how they were meant to be in Japan. Like those handles are like, oh, okay, you wear out the handle, you put a new one on. And then a couple of people had said, you know what, they'll do the, the dowel method with the epoxy and all that stuff. But then for the final assembly, they just use hot glue. And that way, if you ever want to take the handle off, you can just 
put it in the oven at like 200 degrees and it or 150 once it however low your oven would go and it warms up the glue enough and it won't damage the wood or the temper i'm like that's brilliant and so i was like okay i'm gonna try this so i got this hot glue stuck it i was ready for final glue up for a long time i just had to epoxy the blade in so i stick the hot glue in there go like this and then i put it in the clamp but the hot glue had um <laughs> it had gotten saw or did warm or cool down too quick and so I'm cranking the handle on this thing and it's slowly going, slowly going. And then it just kind of seizes up. And I'm like, I don't know if this hydraulic lock or what, but I just keep cranking on this clamp. And I wasn't really looking at the blade. I was looking at the, <clears throat> you know, the very end where the, the end of the handle goes in or end of the blade goes in. And all of a sudden I hear tink. And I'm like, oh, oh, that's not good. And I looked and I probably had this thing. I don't know, man. It was bowed out. <laughs> like it looked like a bow like a like a an archer's bow like it was just like a banana i'm like holy crap this is dangerous so i quickly unloosen the the clamp and there's about a quarter inch off the tip of this blade that broke but uh i was shocked i, I wish i would have had it on camera because for well first of all i would have never done that because i was like it was stupid it looked like a fillet knife and it was this kitchen knife and it is really hard so i'm i'm actually really impressed and then i was looking for that crack and I, it didn't make the crack any bigger You'd think if you flex a knife that much, you'd just snap it when there is a crack like half, but I don't know. And then I ended up just taking a heat gun to the handle and it warmed it up and then I just squeezed it and it went right in. So, but man, so it'll be fun. I got like a, finally got to use one of my, this one's ground really nice and thin and it's really like the distal tapers phenomenal. It's just that crack. But then also when I put it in the uh, the bolster, or that very top piece of wood, split open. <laughs> like, every time I touch this knife, something goes wrong with it. But yeah, then I was sharpening it yesterday, and I was like, oh, I wonder if Todd's tried his sharpener. But yeah, Well, no, I wanted stuff. to, but, you know. Yeah. I don't want to cut sense. anything off or, <laughs> you know, or break a knife by dropping it yeah, whatever yeah yeah just yeah thank god i haven't dropped a cup of coffee yet but mm -hmm. yeah that's like a cardinal sin there <laughs> well then if you drop a, if you drop a cup of coffee you can never get it clean enough where it doesn't have an odor later mm -hmm. i don't know it's just you know especially if you have like hardwood floors mm -hmm. yeah yeah or yep. carpet. Like, yeah. I can get dog poo and urine off a of carpet, and you'll never know it was there. Coffee? Nope. You walk really? in the room two weeks later, you're like, somebody spilled coffee in here. Mm. It's like putting a blessing on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> or having a... Oh, what, what did they... When we were looking at houses... Uh, what you know, many years ago when we were moving around with the military realtors like yeah you know the people the sellers built the house and we had met the sellers mm. all right important later because she was a realtor and he's a cop in the city and mm -hmm. uh And a quick funny sidebar, he was an undercover cop. And they 
the the show Cops were filming in that city back then a lot, and they wound up showing this guy on camera with his chain, his badge on the chain, and he's an undercover cop. Yeah, they no. they um, blew his cover on the show Cops. That's funny. No, not so much for him, but anyway. So we're standing, we're taking a tour of this house, and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, the sellers built the house and lived here, and now they're expanding their family, and they need to get out, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's never been smoked in. It's never been this, never been that. And I just hold my hand up. And this is our realtor. Somebody's supposed to be on our side. Right. I said, number one, we've met the sellers of the house. And he's like, and you see, I see his face just, uh-oh. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I I know that they bought this house when they uh, first started her realty stuff and wanted to uh, move out of where they were, move out outside of those city limits into a bedroom community. Mm. I know that because that's what they said. And if you look at the, deed transactions you can tell mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and so that, that, that's one lie he smokes that's two lies and even if i had never met him i can smell it i can see it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm a, i was a smoker back then so you know what it you know looks and smells like to be walking to a smoker's oh, yeah. house and uh yeah got realtor was a scumbag he really was hmm I've never met one that's not, but <laughs> I've met all my, I've had one, two, three, four, four or five realtors. Only two of them were actual scumbags. Hmm. The one we had I here just, is a uh, very successful, but a good Christian man. He, he just is. Um, but yeah, know. I should, I shouldn't say that. Cause I know one person that, that isn't a scumbag. Um, and her husband works for my dad. They're actually nice people. But And I thought I had another, when we were selling this house, I thought we had the greatest realtor ever, and turns out just to be another one of them. But anyways, I got I to gotta take off here, Todd. Got a whole bunch of stuff I got to get done today. And we got to run kids around and shuffle things, still music and all that. But uh, that's a good podcast. I appreciate it, buddy. No problem. I thank you. And uh, thank you all for listening. And then, uh, yeah, I should be back next week. Yeah, we'll see y'all later.